everyone. This is Wendy coming to you from another episode of Wise Wednesdays. I have a special guest today, Mike McCallowitz, um, author of Profit First, and that's going to be our topic for today and introducing a new book. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Wendy, it's a joy to be with you. Thanks for having me. This second time's a charm, they say. I know, right? right. Yes, listeners, we had some technicality issues, yeah. so we got them worked out. So we are going to dive right in because we have a lot of stuff to cover with Mike. But before we do, Mike, before we talk about the books and what you've done for yeah. a living, tell us about what brings you joy outside of working and helping others. Um, well, okay. So, you know, maybe it sounds kind of blase, but just spending time with my family, uh, being with my wife, I love those things. I'll tell you one thing that's a little oddity of mine. I love saunas. That brings me so much joy. It's something about the intense heat that brings this focus. My mind can't keep jumping around. And it's a very joyful, almost meditative state. The saunas are my little guilt, guilty pleasure, if you will. Interesting. Okay, well, good good thing to know if uh, you see Mike introduce him to a new sauna in your town or something. No, I'm totally in for it. Yeah, I'm totally in. Well, we're going to jump right in because I was introduced by uh, coming across your book, Profit First, and then you're going to introduce a new one um, here shortly that you're going to be discussing. Um, the Wise family is a mixture of people in the signage industry, so very yeah. custom projects that go on and on, and um, you know, big signs, little signs, everything in between. So I just wanted to dive right in and talk about maybe the first couple of years of growth in such a customized business. Um, in page 20 of your book, you mentioned, you actually said, grow now, profit someday. And I think a lot of people start out thinking that, and especially in our industry, you can't afford to save. So let's talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. you know, it, As I wrote Profit First, I came across a study that really actually inspired Profit First more than anything else. So maybe I, wrote, I read this before writing it, was a study came out from US Bank. Uh, it was in conjunction with the SBA and they identified that 83% of small business, and let me qualify small business. According to the SBA, small business is a company that does $25 million in annual revenue or less. To me, that's pretty big small business, but all of us, if you're less than 25 million, you're a small business, I'm a small business, don't you wanna be a small business too? Yeah. But 83% of small businesses are in check-to-check -check survival, meaning if we don't sell another sign stat, mm -hmm. we're going to go out of business mm -hmm. or we're not going to be able to pay our employees, let alone ever pay ourselves. Mm -hmm. So there's this constant frustration. The irony is every business owner I've interviewed has started their business in part or sometimes in whole for financial freedom. I am in business, so I don't have to worry about bills. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can live the lifestyle as I define it. Yet the reverse happens. And what I discovered was I said, well, why is this happening? Why do so many businesses struggle yet we want to be profitable? And that's why I realized it's this growth mentality over a profit mentality. We think if we simply get to a certain size that there's this magical flip of the switch that money will come pouring in. But instead, we're actually compounding bad habits. If you're not profitable from day one, day two, you're doing more of the things that aren't profitable. And day three, it's even worse. Mm -hmm. So I wrote Profit First to reverse that trend. I believe most people think profit is an eventuality, but it needs to be baked into the business. So I have a saying that profit is not an event, it's a habit. And if you haven't been profitable in every transaction up to this point, it can start today, but it needs to start today. Right. And I think um, when you just ended with that sentence that it needs to start today, 
that's what I was thinking about when I was reading the book. I mean, just personally speaking, we've been in business for almost 10 years, you know, and so I'm just now, of course, you know, coming across the book 10 yeah. years in. So I'm thinking about anyone who's opening next month, you know, uh, the month after that, what kind of tips besides, you know, you break it down in the book and you say you need to do these things, but if they could only pick an immediate first to yeah, start. Yeah. What I'll give you the say? one that's a game changer. Um, it, it's in the book, but you don't even need to read the book. I would argue what I'm about to share with you, if you do this in the next 24 hours, you will be permanently profitable for the rest of your business. And give context, I was in business for 15 years through two companies and they were never profitable. So it's, and now I've been profitable in my newest business. I've had over 10 years, over 46 or 47 consecutive quarters of profit distributions above a salary, above my taxes being taken care of, a bonus check. So we can get there. The key is this. This is what you got to do now, or at least within the next 24 hours. Call your bank and set up one account at your bank, one additional account. So if you have a main operating account, which most businesses do, deposits go in there and you pay bills from there, set up one additional account, make it a savings account, take it 30 minutes. That's step one. Step two is allocate 1% of your income into this account. We're going to call it a profit account. Mm-hmm. Anytime a deposit comes in, every time a deposit comes in, Take 1% of that money and put in a profit account. And here's the context. Say $1,000 comes in for a sign you do. I'm saying take 1%, that's 10 bucks. If you can uh, produce a sign, install it and so forth for $1,000, chances are you can do the exact same thing for $990. The impact on your ability to serve is not impacted. It's negligible, it's only 1%. But the impact on our perception of profit is radical. Because now you see $10, perhaps for the first time ever, you're sitting on a cash profit. And the next deposit comes in, put in the next five or 10 or $15, whatever it is, and starts accumulating. This is not a get rich quick. Like You won't be extraordinarily wealthy tomorrow, but you're going to have a a mindset of wealth by tomorrow. And it doesn't matter time that maybe change it to 2% or three. Then you start rolling out the entirety of the system. We have, Wendy, now over 600,000 companies doing profit first. Hmm. It's wildly successful, wildly profitable, and they've been doing it and they've been getting there by starting slow, the mm-hmm. system, and then letting it grow. So that's what we say. Start slow, let it grow, start with one account, 1%, see how you do, then try two, try three, and expanding it out. And these businesses that were never profitable before have become permanently profitable. Yeah, and I read that. I remember, and I thought, 1%? That's so little. Nothing. Right? Yeah. So it's just because, like you said, it's a mindset thing of getting used to taking those funds and putting it aside. It isn't that, like you said, overnight and over a week or over a month, you're going to set yourself up with this huge account, but it just starts to switch the mindset. That's right. And, you know, I think the the fear I have for so many businesses, the, the, the mindset I had was, oh, one day, yeah, there'll be this tranche of cash that's just going to appear. We actually think it's going to be this get rich quick. Mm-hmm. We're in a business that we think we're going to get rich quick. Like at the end of 10 years, all this wealth will come pouring in. And wealth in our business, profit in our business, wealth in our lives is a is a result of persistent habit. Mm-hmm. The thing is, if we go in too fast, too strong, we're not going to be able to adjust to it. It's going to hurt us. Now, some people say, but Mike, this is a shell game. Listen, if $1,000 comes in, $1,000 is $1,000. Who cares how I divide it up? Mm-hmm. It's still only $1,000. But this is a behavioral system because most of us are not Spocks. We are behavioral beasts. Mm-hmm. And we respond to one, among other things, called there was one concept called B- Parkinson's Law. Parkinson's Law is a theory, human behavioral theory, that says 
as a supply increases in its availability, we consume more. As it decreases, we consume less. And listen, if you put one chocolate chip cookie in front of me, I love chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> I'll eat one cookie. If you put a dozen in front of me, I'm not eating one. I'll probably eat a dozen. Right. It's the supply that dictates my behavior of consumption. So as our business grows, as revenue grows in our business, more money is flowing in, more money flows out because we consume it faster. Mm -hmm. By allocating this money for profit and hiding it from ourselves, what it does is it constrains our spend. So we become more critical of, do I really need that equipment? Uh, can I buy it used? Become critical, critical of expenses. We also become critical of something that's even far more important, margin. Mm -hmm. Are really charging the right price? Should I be selling a sign for a thousand or should it be twelve hundred? Mm -hmm. Because all that would then be profit. So it just changes our perspective by taking our profit first. And the last thing I want to share is this is nothing new. It's not like something I invented. This has been around for eons. It's called the pay yourself first principle. It's been around since BC. The, the richest man in Babylon, think and grow rich. Uh, there's tons of books written on this principle. I simply said, oh, this is something we need to apply to businesses, not just ourselves. Right. Well, and then you brought up something that's um, very unique to a lot of businesses is talking about uh, being consistent with your core products so that you're not trying to sell everything you can to every single person. Yeah. And I thought that that might be something interesting just to kind of hone in on a little bit for our listeners as well. You know, signage industry is very wide. And yeah. so we do get caught in that pigeonhole of trying to offer everything. How, how, how can we do a better job of that? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, that's a great trap, right? Is if I offer something to everyone, I have all the consumers in the world. But if that's the way you're selling, you know the results. You don't get much business that way. And it's, it's kind of shocking, but everyone needs a sign. Mm -hmm. But everyone needs a sign unique to their needs. That's the part we don't add. Yes, everyone needs a sign unique to their needs, which means you need to satisfy all these different unique needs. Mm -hmm. And the more variability in needs, the harder it is to service everyone well. You just become kind of the adequate generic provider. There's a principle in manufacturing. And in, in my new book, which is Clockwork, Revised and Expanded, I, I lean into this. Manufacturers constantly are trying to reduce variability because mm -hmm. the more variables we have, the more potential for hiccups. And there's a downstream or down the line effect. Yes. If I make one mug and it's it's black, that's real simple. If I make one mug and it's two colors, now I've doubled the potential for problems. It's black and red. If I make four mug types with two colors, it's not four or six problems. It's now eight problems, two times four. So the problems start amplifying or the potential for problems. And when when the red dye is not working, half my mugs are being painted red or now all off the line. Mm -hmm. Reducing variability reduces the potential for problems. Now, if you reduce it too narrowly, you start losing consumers. Right. This is what uh, Ford experienced. All they made was the Model T in one color, black. And, and Henry Ford was famed for saying, you can have it any color you want as long as it's black. <laughs> so um, we need to introduce enough variability to keep our core clients engaged, saying they have choice, but narrow enough that we don't destroy our potential for manufacturing or producing at the highest level. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? Pick a niche. Is it a demographic or a psychographic, but who is the community that you can serve best? Um, look at your historic customers and say, oh, these customers are, are coincidentally the best of mine. Um, someone that's on a main street as opposed to um, off the main road. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe you can become the main street specialist and maybe you start realizing when you're uh, putting signs on Main Street, there's certain restrictions and requirements. You can't illuminate those signs or something because Main Street prohibits that. You start becoming a specialist and you can cater to their needs, and then your repetition starts preceding you. 
oh, you're the sign person who gets it right every single time and the first time because you know the community. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a religious community and you start understanding the way they communicate. Maybe you understand the lingo or language of that community and they say right from the get-go, you get me. The more narrow the community, the more specialized you become. And that means the more exceptional you are among that community. Never forget this last part. Birds of a feather flock together. Mm-hmm. When you serve someone in a community well, they're hanging out with people just like them. Mm-hmm. So cater to your best customers because they are circulating with your future best customers. Stay narrow, focused, narrowly focused there and you'll be the authority in the space. Absolutely. There, there's a reason there's the riches and the niches. That's saying. Right, right. And and you're right. And I do think that that's some things that as sign professionals, we really struggle with because it's such a customized profession. And like you said, you're having to try to cater or you you feel like you'll lose that customer. So I, I really honed in on that and within the book. And there is a quote that you shared that says nothing um, changes if nothing changes. If you don't change the way you take your profit, you will never take a profit. So right. then let's talk to the people like us. You know, we're 10 years, we're 20 years, we're 30 in, years into the business. Is it are we too far along to go back? You know, we, now we have debt. Now we have all these employees. Now we have all these responsibilities. What does that look like? Yeah, you're, you're never too far along to not go back. In fact, you're, you're whatever, however ever years you have, I would just add the word of proof. So when someone says, I'm in business for 30 years, I say, you're in business for 30 years and you have proof mm-hmm. of 30 years of what's not working. I have 20 years of proof that this doesn't work. So the longer you've been doing something and not getting results, that's simply more proof that that approach isn't working. Mm-hmm. So I would just try something new. Now, when I teach profit first, I expect people to be skeptical because I was skeptical. I had 15 years of proof that waiting for profit to come, trying to sell my way out of it to grow, grow, grow was the solution. And I had 15 years of proof that didn't work. So I tried out profit first. But when I tried it, I mean, I, I got some ground zero for it. I just created it for myself. I also was like, I don't know, but I was desperate to find something. And so I started off with that 1%. And sure enough, the money started accumulating and I didn't miss it all. It was actually almost magical. I'm like, why am I not missing this money? I changed it 2%, 3%. Maybe it was around 5 or 6% when I started becoming more critical of how I was spending. And I started pursuing more of a niche, starting to increase my margin. The other benefit of specializing in community is you get to dictate more because you are the specialist. Mm-hmm. It's like, like a heart surgeon um, will dictate a massive premium where a general practitioner can't because a heart surgeon is saving someone's lives. You can be the sign person that's creating signs that's saving the life of someone else's business with the right sign mm-hmm. and people will pay a premium. So I started to do those things. And then I saw this change. I was like, wow, um, th- this is my new standard going forward. So it's never too late. Um, it's a mistake to start. You know, they, they say, when's the best time to plant a tree 40 years ago? Second best time is today. Right. Start it today and prove to yourself it works or maybe it doesn't work for you. It's a rare circumstance. It can happen, but just try something new because you have all this proof of what you've been doing that hasn't been working. Well, and you touched on something in that in that explanation about sales, right? A lot of people are like, I can just sell more. Mike, I don't need the, to set across the profit because I can just sell more. Talk about that. Yeah, so sales means that we're going to bring in uh, more money uh, and more expenditure. Sales translates to organizational stress. I think about this. You sell something to me, Wendy, you have a responsibility to me. You sell something to someone else, you have a responsibility to them. You sell more, you have more responsibility. So how it translates in most small businesses is the owner becomes more stressed. <laughs> I've noticed 
the more you're selling, it's like, I got more burden on my shoulder. What's going on? And it actually starts crumbling the foundation of the business. We constantly run out and put out fires. There's more problems. Sometimes business owners even say, guys, I just want to go back to the way it was when it was just me and small because of the stress level. So sales translates to stress. The other thing is sales without profit brings a shortened runway. You have obligation, but the only way to deliver all the things that you need to deliver is you need to sell more because I need the cash flow now to support what I'm doing now. So it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy of struggle. Profit brings the runway. It, it brings uh, a deliberateness where every transaction that's profitable, we can move at it appropriately, fully, and there's no rush and panic to bring in more cash because the cash is there. I've never seen a business sell its way into, I take it back. I rarely see businesses sell their way into profitability. Sadly, some of those businesses are promoted through media as being the successful businesses. Twitter, Twitter may still not be profitable, yeah. right? Uh, Tesla took many years to get to profit yeah. and they were backed by huge amounts of venture capital and people willing to make bets and put their money down, hoping one day they'll be profitable. Mm -hmm. But small businesses, we don't get backed by venture capital. Mm -hmm. The venture capital is your, your credit card being maxed out. That's about it. No one else is taking a bet on you. So we need to be profitable. Once you get that profitable habit in place, then it becomes this perpetual success factor. And, and by the way, one last thing, mm -hmm. more profitable a business is, generally the faster it grows. Uh, mm -hmm. We have, like I said, over 600,000 businesses doing profit first. In, in the majority, not every instance, but the majority of interest, uh, instances, they are outpacing their contemporaries in the industry in growth. And the reason this happens, I didn't expect that, but the reason it happens, they take profit they become much more selective of how they're utilizing their money, which means they're optimizing the ROI. Mm -hmm. Most small businesses don't even know how to optimize an ROI. All they do is money came in. They said, oh, I need to buy a computer. I need a piece of equipment. I have just enough money. And then the next day, it's like, I need money for payroll. I forgot. Oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble. But by taking your profit first, you have less money available to spend. You start saying, well, how do I spend this appropriately? You become more thoughtful about it, which facilitates faster growth. Mm -hmm. and, and why do you think that, um, you know, a lot of people that we talk to that are business owners or business students, you know, they don't, they don't talk about the profit first, right? They don't, they don't ever discuss um, the no paychecks, the struggling to pay vendors, to pay employees, you know, is it just because everybody just really wants that American dream of business ownership and we can just knock all those other troubles and woes out of the way. Why don't you think that that really um, gets discussed, the hardships that real businesses face? Yeah, well, part of it's ego, is uh, part of it's embarrassment, part of it's expression. So the ego is it's hard to admit something's not working. So we can't even face ourselves with that. I have a business. Why am I not making money? Um, I went into the business to make money. What's wrong with me? And it's hard to accept there's something wrong with us. And it isn't. There's a system that we're following, putting profit last, that's not serving us, but we see as a reflection of us. The embarrassment is you don't want to tell other people. Could you imagine talking to other business owners and someone's like, oh, I just grew my business to a certain size and I'm going on vacation. And I'm sitting there saying, well, I have no money and I work my ass off. I work 80 hours a week. Like, And I hate my life. Like, There's embarrassment. But the other thing is, maybe the word embellishment is a better choice. It is really hard to sell to a client when you're struggling. Imagine going to a prospect or client saying, hey, um, I'd love to do this time for you. We've done this in the past. Problem is we have no money. We're on the verge of going bankrupt. I can't afford to pay my employees. Uh, can you please give me the project? The client would be like, are you kidding me? Right. You're on the verge of going out of business? I don't want to do business with you. Mm -hmm. So we know we need to embellish. We're like, yeah, business is great. 
And all that stuff, ego, embarrassment, embellishment, all keeps us focused on the top line. We can brag about that number. The bigger that number is, the bigger we feel and the more confident we have when we present ourselves. But there's that constant burn. Mm -hmm. I think your listeners may know what I'm talking about. Is you're talking top line, but you're feeling the bottom of no cash flushing out to you. And it turns away. Many dream businesses turn into nightmares. Something that we thought was service, we come of servitude too. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a mentality of focusing on the top line because of what it means in a form of expression. But it, it, it's frutal, it's futile, futile, that's the word I'm looking for. It's yeah. futile and, um, and hurtful. Mm -hmm. So we just got to have an honest conversation with ourselves. Right. Absolutely. And I actually just um, had posted on our private Facebook group that I was having you on and a couple of people were so excited. And one lady um, started it in December and she had been in business for 25 years yeah. and I called her and I asked for tips and different things. And we had a really good conversation. So I'm excited to share it with the group because I know that there's a lot of people that, like you said, just tomorrow just start that account tomorrow move that yeah. well you got now you gotta tell me she's in business 25 years what's the last well that was in december so eight or nine months been for her she says it's been incredible yeah that's yeah. what i want to hear that's what i want to hear <laughs> she did yeah. and um she said it's been great and that it's been a lot of less burden you know she said that they're trying to learn their quarter differences because they're in ohio and they have yeah. some bad weather first quarters and so they really take a you know a hit with lack of business yeah. So they're just trying to balance that. But no, she says that it's been great and they pause. They don't buy a certain equipment if they hadn't needed it and certain things. So yeah, I'm really excited, you know, about talking with her some more. That's exciting. Yeah. And and I, I didn't know that story. No. I'm blessed to hear stories like that very often. I, I get an email probably every 15 to 20 minutes now from a reader uh, and not in all cases, but in some cases they share their stories mm -hmm. about how they're deploying profit first and just lights me up. Yeah. That, after 25 years of a struggling business, that does not need to be the final chapter. In fact, it could just be the long, lengthy first chapter, and, and we can move this business forward in a very healthy way. Absolutely. And that's why when I read it, I was like, we have to get some listeners on. So I'm hoping that everybody's definitely going to start and you know lead with the profit first. But you have another book that it's already come out or it's about to come out. Remind well, me. As of this recording, it hasn't come out. It's coming out August 30th. So it depends when this gets out there, but on August 30th, 2022, okay. uh, the book will be publicly available. Clockwork and Revised and Expanded. And what is it going to be called? So it's Clockwork Revised and Expanded. Okay. So I wrote a I wrote Clockwork, the original book, four years ago. The subtitle is Design Your Business to Run Itself. How do you make a business run on automatic? And uh, that book's been very popular. Uh, tens of thousands, probably actually about 100,000 copies have sold. And the feedback was coming in of of people struggling with certain spots and and not understanding certain things. Um, certain things were kind of blumpy and bumpy. So I tore it down to the studs. I rewrote the book. It's actually 60% brand new content. Oh, nice. I would say it's 100% simplified. I restructured the entire book. And um, I'm, pr I'm proud of it. I think it's my best work of my career to this mm -hmm. point. Um, and I hope it's the game changer. Listen, as an entrepreneur, our job is not to do the job. Our job is to be the creator of jobs. Mm -hmm. and, and sadly, many entrepreneurs do the work. We're actually stealing jobs uh, from others who want to do the job. There was, there's research out there that 14% of the world population will ever start a business. Mm -hmm. Only 20% will sustain that business healthily. That's, that's me and you. Like That's 3% of the population will ever run a successful business. That is a rarity. 
97% of the population is looking to work for a good, healthy business. Mm -hmm. Our job is not to do the work. Our job is to create the job, the work or jobs for other people. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why I teach in this book, how to be a creator of opportunity for others and also to have a joyous experience. I have built that for my own business. I have 22 colleagues, 22 employees here. Um, I don't do much of the work, but I do love being a spokesperson. I love what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. and I love writing books. So I've reinserted myself in the way that gives me joy, but the business doesn't depend on me. That's the key. Right. right. And I mean, that's what we're all striving for. Yeah. You know, everyone who's, I mean, it's funny you say that because I was doing something in my business for the first half of the day. I'm like, this should be an employee, but we can't find any right now, you know? Yeah. So it is, it is a real struggle, but you know, at the end of the day, that is the goal. So I do help, um, hope that everyone can grab two copies now, right? So profit first, and then the clockwork revised. And then in the back, I was reading, um, Mike also has the pumpkin plan yeah. surge and the toilet paper entrepreneur. So yeah. many books out there that can help all of us business people learn and grow more. So we're going to wrap here. And just as fun, what we always like to do is a rapid fire question. And I have two for you. So the okay. first one was, when you were a little boy, what did Mike want to be? A garbage man. Really? I still actually pine to do that at least one day. I don't think I have the strength uh, mm -hmm. to do it. But what I loved was I love watching these guys ride on the back of a truck. I think that's badass. And I got to be careful. It's not only guys. There's men and women that yes. do it. Mm -hmm. um, but in New Jersey, everyone's called a guy. So welcome to New right. Jersey. <laughs> uh, so there's people on the back of the trucks. And, and they're getting to throw stuff all around. Um, it's a dirty job, but I think it's a badass job. So if anyone is associated with a garbage uh, or refuse company and can get me a one day experience, I will haul garbage. I just want to hang on the back of that truck. That's funny. Okay. Well, that's a challenge for our listeners. We need to find you on the back of a, I want to be a garbage man. Of, for of a day. garbage for truck, right? Yeah. And then the other uh, question is, what was your first car? Tell us about your first the first car I bought was a Nissan 300 ZX. Mm, it, um, I saved I saved all the money I had in, in high school and before high school. I was working and I bought my own car with my own money uh, right when I got into college. And um, it was the coolest car ever. It was it had a digitized dashboard. It was a 1984 Turn ZX with a little digital dashboard mm -hmm. um, and just fell in love with that car. Uh, sold it maybe 10 years later. It was the best car. Oh, wow. All right. Well, that's good. Well, again, Mike, I thank you so much for taking your time out to uh, be on our Wise Wednesday podcast and share the wisdom that you have um, from the Profit First books and all the others with um, all the entrepreneurs and just team members out there who just want to do better for our businesses. So I thank you so much for your time today. It's been a joy. Thanks for having me, Wendy. Absolutely.